I am very proud of my people in this room and those of you, some of you aren't here tonight, but I'm getting praise reports and I'm getting, you're getting it and it's working. And that makes me very happy. And that makes Pastor Diana very happy. And that makes God very happy. Because what we, it's one thing to live something. I moved the location of this mic a little bit, Brother Kenny, so I might need a little bit more. Uh, I don't know how it sounds on live stream, but it's a little lower than what we did to sound check because I moved it down a bit. Uh, so you, there you go. Just a touch. That's good. Thank you, sir. Um, it's one thing to know something works and teach it, and then to see it come alive in the people you teach it to. It's a very rewarding feeling. And if you've ever taught anybody anything, whether it was teaching your kids how to tie their shoes or teaching somebody calculus, when they get it and you see it begin to manifest in their lives, it's a very rewarding feeling. And sometimes it takes time. You have to get up here week after week and, and by the leadership of the Holy Ghost, say what needs to be said and do what needs to be done and allow people to grab onto the word for themselves. And we, we, you like to just sometimes grab somebody and say, look, do the word. But I'm hearing things and I'm seeing things, both in the natural and in the spirit, that I was having a, uh, my meeting with Pastor Diana the other day, and we just talked about y'all for about an hour. <laughs> and it won't bad. No. Uh, it was encouraging because there's been a shift in this place since the beginning of this year. And the results of that shift are going to make some things immediate in, your, in some of your lives. Some of you are going to receive things that you've been believing and so on for, for, for some time. And some of you are going to get the beginning of a thing this time. I talked last week about some actions of sowing actions and some actions of reaping actions. And they don't always look the same, but you can't have one without the other. That's right. And your ability to recognize the, what an action is and then follow through with it makes all the difference. And a farmer, a wise farmer, values seed just as much as they value the crop. Because if you give a farmer who's got a good piece of land something to sow into that land, he gets excited. So even if it's at the beginning, you should be just as excited as you'll be when you go out there and all your stalks are up because you know how it works. And that's the thing about it. We oftentimes get scared at the beginning and then excited at the end. And when you're dealing with an eternal God, this is going to bless you. When you're dealing with an eternal God, you find out there's no end. And that's going to take a while for some of y'all to get it. Because we see things as seed, time, and harvest. Because that's what the Bible says. As the earth remaineth, seed, time, and harvest, right? But what you don't understand is that seed is just the next round after harvest. It's not like beginning, middle, end, and then it stops. And then you have to start over again. No, it's perpetual. When you're dealing with an eternal God, you're always in it's a circle. It's not a line. So what that means is wherever you are in the circle, when you get to the next phase in the circle, you're going to be right at the next phase again. Mm -hmm. So your level of excitement shouldn't diminish right. based on where you are in the circle because you're dealing with an eternal system. You're not dealing with a temporary fix to a temporary problem. You're dealing with an eternal system. Right. And once you understand that, you'll be just as excited at the planting phase as you are at the harvest phase because to plant, you must have received a harvest which tells you the process works because God planted the first seeds and we've only been planting the results of his harvest. We've never invented a tree. We've never invented a new seed. So every crop that a farmer sows is just part of the harvest of the first tree or the first piece of corn or the first grain of wheat. And we're just in the cycle and your granddaddy planted corn 
and your daddy planted corn, and you planting corn, and your kids will plant corn, and your grandkids will plant corn, because the process is perpetual. It outlives all of us, because it's an eternal process. Well, that's how it is in the spirit. So when you believe in God for something, you just want to be in the circle. You're going to get excited to be in the loop. You're not going to get excited at the end, because you're going to get to the end and realize, oh, there's more. I was excited. I, I, I sold my seed, and then I got my harvest. And most of us jump out the circle at that point. And we eat up our harvest and then wait for the next deficit. Then we try to jump back into the circle. But if you never leave the circle, you'll never lack again. And that's the beautiful thing about an eternal process. It's not supposed to be switched on and off. You're supposed to just get in it and stay in it forever. So take that to heart. That's going to bless somebody. Because you might not know at what point in the circle you are. Just be happy all the time. Be joyful. Be excited to be in the circle. Because you'll turn coming around. And what faith looks like, faith looks like a person who knows they're in the circle. You want to know how faith looks, how faith talks, how faith acts? It's the excitement that I'm in the circle. I'm on the seed time and harvest circle. So if I'm in the seed phase, I'm just as happy as the person in the harvest. And when I'm in the time phase, I'm just as happy as the person in the seed phase. And when I'm in the harvest phase, I'm just as happy as the person in the seed phase or the time phase because we all in the same thing. That's why he could tell you no matter what temptation comes against you to count it all joy. Because those of us who are in the know know that the wheel's always spinning. So we were talking about position for increase. I had to think about it. I guess this would technically be part four. I kind of mashed part two and part three together last week. So we'll call this part four even though I haven't really been keeping track of it. And uh, I was meditating on how we were going to come into this. And the Lord took me to, well, you know what? Let me read some scripture and then we'll jump in. How about that? Now, we know our homework is in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, so we're going to start in Matthew 5. We're actually going to read some of it together tonight. Well, won't that be nice? <laughs> And we're going to, I wanted to go in chronological order from verse 1 all the way to the end, but the Lord has had me highlight certain sections, so we might go in and out and back and forward, and we're just going to stay in these chapters until he says otherwise. I want you to go to verse 20 and, uh, of, of Matthew 5, verse 20, and Jesus is saying in the middle of his teaching, now we, talk, we opened up the perspective of the disciple as Jesus looks at it last week and how that your number one goal should be to be as much like Christ in every area of your life. That's why you get saved, to be like Christ. You don't get saved to go to heaven. That's a terrible mis... Uh, I hate to use the word marketing, but it's terrible marketing the church has used to convince everybody that you get saved to go to heaven. That's not why you get saved. You need to be saved to go to heaven, but that's not why you get saved. You get saved to be like Christ. See, the early disciples knew that. And so they would preach Christ. Paul said, I preach Christ. You preach Jesus to people. You want to win a soul, you have to preach Jesus. You ever been to a restaurant where the food was so good you couldn't stop telling folks about it? And you talk them in a go my sister and I have that kind of relationship. If she goes to a place and it's good, she's going to text me, hey, you need to check this place out. If I go to a place and it's good, I'm going to text her, hey, you need to check this place out. And so we're always scouring Hampton Roads for restaurants we haven't been to yet and then preaching them to each other. <laughs> what I don't do, what she doesn't do, 
is talk about how hungry we are. Because you can cure hunger with a sandwich. But if we've been impressed by a restaurant, we evangelize on behalf of that restaurant to everyone that'll listen. And we talk about the restaurant. We tell them how good the food is. We tell them how good the service is. We tell them how good the prices are. We tell them how good this restaurant is. Then we say, hey man, you need to go. Or come with me, next time I go, I'll get you something. When you preach Jesus and you keep the focus on him, that's how discipleship is done. Because you don't want people to evolve into your culture. You want them to become like the king. And if you, a lot of preachers are getting into trouble because they've created a secondary culture that you're allowed to play in. And you can fill that up quickly. It's easy to get butts in seats when you preach a culture people like because they, Jesus don't have to be there. And you sprinkle a little bit of some biblical doctrine. You sprinkle a little bit of some good works. You sprinkle a little bit of prayer. You might even try to squeeze a little Holy Ghost into it. But ultimately, you're going to dumb down anything that challenges the core of that culture because you don't want to lose the people. And when preachers start branding, they get into trouble. Now, like I said before, as a businessman, there's nothing wrong with branding. Branding is important when you have a business because you want people to like your brand. And once you find your brand, you tend to stay loyal to your brand. It's an important aspect of business. But one of the things I love about Jesus, as I study him more and more, is Jesus would get off brand at a, moment, at a moment's notice. He would fill a stadium with thousands of people and he would feed them and pray for them and raise their dead and heal their sick and, pre and preach to them. And they would go, oh man, this dude is the best. We love this brand. Then he starts saying, y'all need to drink my blood and eat my body. And they would just get up and walk out. They go, no, we don't need none of that. He would let the Holy Ghost come in and mess up the brand because he was not there to gain popularity as a preacher. He was there to preach the kingdom. And the kingdom is only as popular as you want it. And he, he didn't try to make you want it. He just told you about it. And some people wanted it. Some people didn't. If you don't like chicken, and I tell you, I, well, if you don't like chicken, I don't believe that you are of God. But if, <laughs> you know, I used to know a young lady. She was of a certain persuasion. She was, she was, she was, she was, she was one of us. But she had an, she had, she had an allergy to chicken. I said, that can't, that don't make sense. You can't, you can't be that black and be allergic to chicken. Is that racist? I don't know, that's a little racist, okay. <laughs> you ever met a black person that's allergic to chicken? <laughs> you can be allergic to everything, but ain't nobody allergic to chicken. She had a chicken allergy. I don't even know there's anything in chicken to be allergic to. But she said, I can't eat it. I said, we got to check your card, because I don't know about you. <laughs> How are you allergic to chicken? I don't know a human being that's allergic to chicken. Regardless of race, everybody eats chicken. There should be a chicken heaven, because they earned it. <laughs> we don't eat no animal more than chicken. You can go to any continent. The chickens don't survive. We eat them in every phase of their life, from breakfast. <laughs> There's no point in a chicken's life they have not become food. But I'm right. Tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> There is no, chicken, I think God made chicken to be eaten. They don't do nothing else. They don't even fly. They're not useful birds. But they taste so good. <laughs> you name me a, 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 a biblical purpose for chicken besides food, and I'll let you preach. But anyway, 
fuck was I talking about? Chicken. I'm hungry. If you don't like chicken, and I tell you about my favorite chicken restaurant, you're not going to go because you don't want chicken. And no matter how well I, I sell it to you, you're not going to go because you don't like chicken. It's not my job to lie to you and make you think you can go there and get a good burger. It's my job to tell you about my chicken restaurant. And if you don't want chicken, you ain't going to go. And if I can convince you to show up and you get there and then we start putting chicken on your plate, you're going to leave. We have not wronged you. Don't let the world make you feel bad for being honest about the kingdom. If they don't want it, there's no way you can give it to them. But somebody is going to want it. And if you just be a steady witness, a consistent witness, you're going to run into the people that want it. It's not going to be everybody. Jesus couldn't win them all, so don't feel bad if you can't. You know how many folks done heard the gospel and went to hell anyway in the past 2,000 years? Jesus preached to thousands of people that walked right away from him. You'll never be a better preacher than Jesus. I'll never be a better teacher than Jesus. I'll never be more anointed than Jesus was. And neither will you. And people walked away from him because they didn't want it. So you got to want the kingdom to enter the kingdom. That's the beginning of Matthew 5. We talked about that last week. You got to want the kingdom. You got to want to be like Christ to enter to the kingdom. And Jesus makes this statement in verse 20 of Matthew 5. For I say unto you that except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, he's not talking about going to heaven here. Pastor Diana did a masterful job preaching about the kingdom, and I'm not going to steal most of that. But I'm not going to lie and say I won't take a little bit of it. But uh, <laughs> he's not talking about going to heaven in this. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is not talking about going to heaven. So I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, give me a way to show this, how you, how you showed it to me. And he said, you used to work for the government. I said, yep. He said, now when I was in the government, as it is today, you got to get a security clearance. If, you, if, you, if anybody's ever been in the military or worked on a Navy base or a military installation, you know what a cat card is. Controlled access card. It's a little card they give you that allows you to get onto the base. Because I worked for the Navy, my card got me on any Navy installation. So I could go to NOB, I could go to Oceana, I could go to shipyard, I could go anywhere that accepted my card. I could go to the Navy Exchange, all those places, show them my cat card, and get in to the base. Now, I was stationed at Norfolk Naval Shipyard. Norfolk Naval Shipyard has a second layer of security, which I won't talk too much about, but it's called the CIA, Controlled Industrial Area. To get into the CIA, you got to have a security clearance beyond your cat card. Now, in the old days, you just needed one badge, and you could go all the way to the waterfront. <laughs> was this gigantic security risk. So they put a wall or a fence between the main gate and the parking lot. You can get to the parking lot and you can get to the administrative buildings. Mm -hmm. But past that, you got to have another level of clearance mm -hmm. to get into the industrial area where the work is done. It took me 10 months to get my cat card and my beginner, my entry level, my temporary clearance. From the time you interview for the job, it took 10 months to get my card. That was to get on to the base. Once I was on the base, it took another three or four months to get my clearance, my full security clearance, because they got to do all these background checks, and they got to check your family history. They got to find out who your grandmama was, who your uncle was, you got any family if not in the country, all these questions they got to ask. And I was working with a guy. We were, I had started working, and they sent us to, uh, ODU, well, the ODU campus is TCC, but ODU campus. And so way out there off College Drive. And we were coming out of class, and the FBI and NCIS rolled up to the parking lot and grabbed one of the guys that was in the class with me to ask him some questions, because they can do that. When they're doing your security check, they're going to show up wherever you are. They'll come to your house. They knew where we were, because we, when you're stationed, they report where you are. 
So NCIS and FBI roll up on this guy to ask him some questions. They didn't take him, but they didn't want him to go home. They wanted, to, while you're here, let's get through this, these questions, because apparently he had some stuff in his file they needed to clear up. I never got that visit. But <laughs> in order for him to get his clearance, they had to find out his character, who he was, and what was his relationship to the country. Because they're going to give this man clearance. They're going to give me clearance into areas that are sensitive to the workings of the government. They're not just handing that out. Nope. You have to prove something about yourself that makes them confident that you're not a security risk. I had to make sure that my financials were right. If you had too much debt, if you were upside down on too much debt, that could, I could void your security clearance. Some of y'all that work in shipyards, y'all know how that works. Because you're a security risk if you can be bought. Because one of the things that foreign spies will do is find out you got some debt you can't pay, and they'll pay it for you. Man, just, just, just hand me, when next time you go in there, take a few pictures and send me the pictures. Don't tell nobody, and I'll give you some money. And so if you got a lot of financial issues, you might not get your clearance. We had a guy that was working for a whole year and lost his clearance. Because when they finally got around to finishing his background check, they found out that he robbed the bank. Wow. <laughs> he told them when he did his interview, yeah, I robbed the bank. <laughs> and they hired him anyway and let the man work for a whole year. And then when the FBI finished with his security clearance, they, they pulled it. They said, he's a federal felon. <laughs> you know, it's a federal crime, you rob a bank. It's not a state crime. Right. They said, you can't work here. <laughs> so he went through the whole process. He ended up getting his job back. He was a nice guy. He said, I've been feeding my family and raising my kids for the past year on this job. <laughs> I didn't lie to you. I told you I robbed a bank. Robbed the Navy Federal. Oh, <laughs> robbed the Navy Federal and still got the job. Wow. But he lost his clearance. So the Lord began to show that to me. I said, so then what he said was, he said, the cat car gets you on the base. But it gets you as far as the parking lot. You can't do no work on that car. Now, you can, you can go to the Navy Exchange and buy some tax-free clothes, some food. I went, I, Christmas was good because I, I go to the, the exchange and get the TV and stuff, you know. <laughs> You can get some stuff, and you can get into the parking lot. But you can't do no work on a cat cart. If you want to work with the government, you got to have a security clearance. And the rules, the criteria for the clearance you need to work is not set by you. It's set by the best person in the organization, some leader who's earned his way up the ranks, who decides if you got this, this, this on your record, you're good. If you don't, you can't get in. Or it's that, you know, other way around. That's how the kingdom of God works. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is a set of criteria that mirrors the nature of Christ himself and how he interfaces with all situations. That's why it covers everything from relationships to money to your emotions, to all of these things. Because it's not about getting into heaven. It's about getting into the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven is a government, a system established by God, ruled over by King Jesus. And to work in the government, you got to have a security clearance. And the way you qualify for that clearance is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. You can get through the, through the front gate of the planet heaven just by being born again. But that doesn't mean you enter into working in the kingdom of heaven. Because the kingdom of heaven is a system. It's a government. It's got branches all over the world. And anywhere you go, you should be able to interface with the kingdom of heaven. And behave in such a way that you can access everything the kingdom of heaven has to offer. Jesus was most interested not in people going to heaven. Nope. That was easy. 
relatively easy. He had to go to hell for that. But for us, it's not that hard. You got a lot of born-again people who got their cat card and going to get through that front gate. But they can't do no work because they don't have a security clearance because they don't know how to handle their money according to the kingdom. They don't know how to handle their emotions according to the kingdom. They don't know how to handle their marriage according to the kingdom. They don't know how to handle their kids according to the kingdom. And so they're going to go through this life ineffective, no interface with the kingdom of heaven because the kingdom of heaven structure has criteria. And most preachers, get, they stop at preaching going to heaven, the place. And they never preach how to enter the kingdom of heaven, the government. Because you are born into the United States. But that's not enough to serve in the government. That's the lowest criteria. You got to be an American citizen. And you're born into your citizenship the same way you were born into your place in heaven when you were born again. When you got born again, the old you was dead, was replaced with a living person connected to God the Father. You can get born again on your deathbed and die and go to heaven. And you will wake up in heaven with all the saints. You have not entered into the kingdom of heaven because you didn't have no opportunity to do that. Some of us have one level of clearance. Now, when I was in the government, you had multiple levels. I had the highest level, which meant I could go anywhere. I could go in any building because of the nature of my job. But when you first start, if you're a visitor, you get a guest pass. It's a green badge. Is it green? Is it still green or is it blue? I think it's green. It depends on what, what, what installation. But I think ours was green. Somebody got to be with you when you got a green badge. You can't even go anywhere by yourself. You got to be escorted everywhere because they don't trust you. They don't have a reason not to let you up here. We can't let you by yourself. So you got to have an escort. Then you had a yellow badge. You always start with a yellow badge. Yellow means you're under review. <laughs> Yet again, you can get on. It's places you can't go until your review is complete. And it might take months. It might take a year or more to finish your review. But that yellow badge allows you to go in and do a limited amount of work in a limited number of spaces. But you can go by yourself as long as you stay in those spaces. And every, every room that a yellow badge won't let you into has an electronic lock on it. And you got to swipe your badge. And it won't open. You can't get in there. They don't trust you. You can walk around outside with a yellow badge. Because you can't, go, you can't see nothing outside. But anywhere where there's classified documents or top secret documents, you need a red badge. Now, I had a red badge. Red badge, you can go anywhere. I go all the way upstairs to the top floor, get into the, the boss's office with a red badge. The computers work different when you got a red badge. There were times, which I won't talk about, but there were times when if you didn't have a red badge, you couldn't even be on the yard. If you got caught walking around by yourself with a yellow badge during certain operations, Marine Corps run up on you because it was security risk. We don't know you. Well, what did Jesus say would happen to people that showed up in front of him with a green badge? I don't know you. Your security clearance ain't good enough. See, it's not salvation by works. This ain't nothing to do with salvation. This has everything to do with work. And the, the, the modern believer is so over-focused on salvation because they're just trying to not go to hell. They don't even realize that's just the entry. You just got into the parking lot. Congratulations. And we try to hang on to that, and we never get our security clearance to go to work. That's where the rewards are. That's why you have some preachers who are mad at other preachers, because those preachers live better than, those, than some of the other preachers. Because they claim, now, full disclosure, there are some crooked preachers in this world who are just in it for the money. 
and who are taking advantage of people's trust and desire to please God just to milk them for every dime they got. Those people, unfortunately, exist. Jesus said they would. They do exist. They are in operation in certain places. That is true. And unfortunately, they make preachers who preach the word right and are rewarded look bad. Because the world is easy to just lump everybody in one boat. But it's the church I have a problem with. Because there's a whole other group of preachers that claim that if you got too much money, and they can never define how much is too much. I've always wondered what that magic number is. How much money is too much money? How many pairs of shoes is too many pairs of shoes? You ain't got but two feet. So by, by their logic, if you got more than one pair of shoes, you got too many. If you got more than one bedroom, you got too many. If there's such a thing as too much money, you got to draw a line on what that is. Because if you make 50 grand a year, you can survive on 30. How come you don't go down to 30? And I've never seen a critic of wealthy preachers give all their money away. <laughs> I've never seen a critic of wealthy preachers give away all their money. They keep their money because they feel like they don't have too much. But if they went to Africa, they'd be rich. Then would they qualify to be a bad preacher? Anyway, I never understood that. So what I like to look at it as, the Holy Ghost verifies who's who. Because he's the one who decides your security clearance. He's the one who decides the level of access to the grace of God you walk in. Everybody's born again and will go to heaven if they pass away on this earth or get raptured out of here. That's the easy part. Congratulations. But there's levels of grace you walk in that is determined by whether your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees. Because what they were doing is setting up list of rules to control people, and they weren't preaching the kingdom. And the prophet, John the Baptist, preached, repent, change your mind, for the kingdom of God is at hand. A new system has entered the earth, and it's going to require you to change the way you think. And when Jesus went into ministry, he preached the same thing. The Bible says his first message, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Change the way you think. And then he went up on a mountain and began to preach Matthew 5, 6, and 7. If you're taking notes, I kind of danced all over these notes already, but I'll give them to you just because I took the time to write them down. The kingdom of heaven has a set of requirements in order to be interfaced with. This one of them Dell Davis uh, notes. He uses all these $10 words. The kingdom of heaven has a set of requirements in order to be interfaced with. To interface with the kingdom of heaven, there are things that you must have in order. And I'm going to show you something practical in a moment. Those requirements are outlined in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 and are designed around Jesus' character. Not yours, not your culture, not your personality, but the character of Christ. If you are Chinese and you are in China and you have the character of Christ, I can go to China and run into you and we're going to know each other even if we don't speak the same language. If you're in Spain and you speak Spanish, and I run into you and we have this, this in common, we're going to know each other. And when you stand before your king, that's how he's going to know you. I'm really laying it on thick as to how important these three chapters are. Because the repentance, the changing of your thinking that Jesus is preaching is designed to change you into thinking how Matthew 5, 6, and 7 teach you to be. Since Jesus is the king of the kingdom of heaven, he's the king. We all agree on that. You know, we talk about King Jesus, but you don't never think about the fact that you have a king. You call him King Jesus the way we call each other kings. You ain't got no power over me, but you kingly. And Jesus is not kingly. He is the king. It's not just a term of endearment to show respect. He's either your king or he isn't. Mm -hmm. And if he's your king, then he is the standard for how you should view things and how you should behave. Since Jesus is the king of the kingdom of heaven, 
everyone who will operate in the kingdom's government must share his perspective on all things government related. Since he's the king, you must share his perspective on all things government related. When I was in the government, Barack Obama was the president. And as the president, the president's office makes him the commander in chief of the armed forces. So he has direct authority through his generals and leaders over everything in the Department of Defense. Secretary of Defense answers to the president. The Secretary of the Navy answers to the Secretary of Defense. Then there's the head of uh, NAVC who answers to the Secretary of the Navy. And then I believe it's the commander of the installation that you work at. I was about 12 people away from the president. <laughs> they hung a sign on the wall. Because once you get past about number eight, everybody's the same. But if everybody from 11 and up died, I guess I'd be in charge of the Navy. <laughs> no, that's not how that works. That's not how that works. But they showed you a line of the front of the chain of command. And it's 12 people, and I was on the bottom. I was on the list. I'm not in command or nothing. It don't mean you didn't command anything. I wasn't military, but it just shows you how the chain works. And the president's at the top, and I was number 12. And the president gets to set criteria for how he wants his military to work. We elect them in. He gets to set criteria. Now, you don't have to agree with the president. I didn't vote for the man. But he was the president when I was working in the government that he was the president over. So if he set a criteria, I got to follow it. Never met him, never had a chance to complain to him. But he's the president. And I'm in the government. So I'm not just a regular citizen. I have to change my behavior to satisfy whatever criteria the commander in chief sets. Because I said, I want to serve in your government. Mm -hmm. And when I checked in, they made me raise my right hand and swear an oath to the Constitution to defend it, just like they do everybody else that goes into the government. And so I'm bound by an oath and a whole bunch of paperwork that I signed, <laughs> a whole bunch of non disclosure agreements that I signed. <laughs> you know about the NDAs, don't you? Bound by all that to do whatever the president legally commands. And the Constitution says what he can and can't command. But it also tells me that if I work for his government, I'm beholden to his regulation. Well, Jesus is the king. And through the Holy Ghost, he issues commands to everyone in his government. Now, if you just want to be a private citizen and not serve in the government, you just want to get your little cat card and get into the heaven, you do you. But don't complain about the servants. Don't complain about the disciples. If you just want to be a follower, you be a follower. But when you decide to be a disciple, you must repent of the way you think. And you'll see the difference. We're seeing it now. The difference between followers and disciples. Amen. People who, okay, I believe in Jesus. I believe he died for my sins. Kudos. That does not make you a disciple. That makes you a follower at best. And followers are easy to fall off because Jesus is going to start saying some wild stuff that's going to challenge how easy it is for you to keep following them. And only the disciples are going to stick. Now, I can tell you what happens when you become a disciple. Your life changes. And the, 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 the stuff that you see other people right around you walking in that you don't think you can have, you will see I can have that too. I can live that life too. Because none of us start out this way. Nope. None of us. None of us were born this way. We decided, I'm going to be a disciple. I've been a follower long enough. I showed up. I, I do my little part. I follow. And as long as Jesus is talking sense, I'm with him. But he's going to start saying some stuff I don't understand. And I have to make a decision. Am I going to follow through or am I going to fall off? Jesus was very adamant about this because he was getting ready to go to a cross and die. And he told his disciples, you have to do the same. He didn't tell his followers that. But they were gone by then. Let me give you a practical example of interfacing with the kingdom. 
But that's kind of heavy. I'm going to lighten it up just a tad. Let's say you're trying to improve your finances. The kingdom of God has a very generous financial package. Now, okay, I got just enough time to, to make this point. Because we overvalue the place of money in the world, we oftentimes don't understand how money works in the kingdom. Because we think that, okay, if I win 100 souls, I qualify for more money. And sometimes, unfortunately, even well-meaning preachers can make it sound that way, that you serve to prosper. But let me sort of refine that way of looking at it. You prosper because you're committed mm -hmm. to the Father and to the kingdom. And the same commitment that drives you to win souls into the hundreds drives you to order your finances in a way that the kingdom of God can bless you. It's not quid pro quo. I'm going to win 100 people and then God's going to give me more money. It's not that. It's the person that I've chosen to be, the disciple that I've chosen to be, takes their finances and surrenders that to the kingdom of God just like every other area of my life. And as a result of that surrender, I'm able to be blessed according to the kingdom of God, according to what God has created for me to be blessed in. Because you cannot be a stingy giver and a soul winner. Because it comes from the same heart. You ain't got but one heart. Your heart can't be bountiful in love towards your fellow man and want to see them enter into the kingdom, but then you keep your five dollars to yourself every time you have a chance to give. You can't have both. You're lying or you're confused. You're suffering from what we call cognitive dissonance. You can't have a heart towards God and not have a heart that loves. If you got anger issues and you decide I'm going to surrender my whole heart to the kingdom and serve in the government of the kingdom of God, God's going to put pressure on your emotions. He's going to take you through the love walk training and expect you to pass it. And if you keep failing it, it's not that God doesn't love you, but there are rewards of walking in the love walk. There's increased grace that comes from walking in the love walk and winning that test. And if you fail that test, your security clearance is affected. And with the change in your security clearance comes the change in your ability to serve at a higher level. And in the change in your ability to serve at a higher level comes a change in your pay. Because God will not entrust us. Now, the devil will let you have whatever you want because it'll kill you in the end. But God will not entrust unto you the greater riches if you are slave to the lesser riches. So forget it's not about money. God's got all the money. It's about how much those dollar bills have control of you. And if they dictate your position towards God, then you disqualify yourself for the things that God has to give you that's bigger than money. And you can replace that with anything. It could be health. If you like cake so much that when God tells you don't eat no more cake because it's going to kill you in 20 years and you just can't give it up, you disqualify yourself from everything else that's connected to that instruction. Because if he's your king, he should be able to tell you to do anything and you do it. And when the king comes to you and gives you an instruction or gives you a command, how much he's your king is tested at that point. And what we do is we have sort of a piecemeal relationship with God. You can be the king over there, but this, this over here is me. And you can be the king over there, but this over here is me. And every part of you that's you can only be upheld by your strength. And you don't have a lot. And neither do I. Some of us have strong personalities. That don't mean you got strong faith. You can't generate your own faith. You can't man up faith. I tried it. I know it don't work. You have to surrender to your king to walk in his power.
A lot of times those instructions are going to be things that go right against how you think you're supposed to be, who you think you're supposed to be, how you've always been. But if how you've always been has worked out for you, what are you doing here? If you can't change, then your life can't change. I made a decision, the same decision that every disciple has to make, that every bit of me has to be changeable if there's a better version to be made of me. It has to be changeable. I can't be so in love with me that I come to God and say, this is what I am. Do something with it. And then he goes, I don't want to do nothing with that. Get rid of that. Replace it with this. And I go, yeah, but that's that's me, Lord. He said, I know, but that's not me. That's not me. That's you. I appreciate you bringing you to me, but I am better than you. So if you become like me, you'll be better. When I have a student sit in front of me and say, teach me to play the piano, Mr. Davis, I say, okay, can you practice 30 minutes a day? I ain't got time for that. Well, then I can't teach you. I say, because I can't teach you to play the piano. I can only teach you to practice it. I practice for an hour a day. That's why I'm good. If you listen to me play and say, I want to do that, I can tell you how to do it. But if your personality, if your life, if your perspective interferes with the process that me and every other teacher in this building had to go through to get here, you won't get here. Because the rules don't change because you're special. Now, it works. It works if you work it. But don't come to me and say, I want. Don't tell me you want to be like me. And then when I tell you what I am, when I, this is Jesus talking, when I show you what I am, you say, well, that, that's not me. I know it's not you. But you said you were tired of you. This is as far as you could get you. That's why you're here. But we don't want to be, we don't want to feel like we're bad people. Jesus didn't say you were bad people. Jesus loves you so much, he died for you, just as you are right now. He don't think you're a bad person. He's just better. That's all. You go to a personal trainer who got abs, and you don't have abs, and you want abs, they're going to train you to look like them. And they're not going to let you do what you know how to do, because you made your body look like that. You made you look like that. They didn't, tell, they didn't shove that pizza down your throat. You did that to you. Now, I can undo it, but you got to do what I give you to do. And that's what Jesus is saying. And that applies to every area of your life. If I can make you better, this is Jesus talking. If I can make you better, your life is a piece of cake. Because every time Jesus encountered a difficulty, he just spoke it away. Because he was Jesus. And he was Jesus because he surrendered to the Holy Ghost. My last couple of minutes, I'll make this point and then I'm done. If you read Matthew chapter 4, right after the baptism of John, Jesus has just been anointed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has descended from heaven and rested on Jesus, the Bible says, like a dove. He lands on Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit of God takes Jesus up out that water and marches him into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. The Bible says the Holy Spirit sent him into the wilderness to be tempted. Jesus didn't eat or drink for 40 days and 40 nights by command of the Holy Ghost. And then when he was at his weakest and hungriest, the devil showed up. The Holy Spirit designed it that way. Now, does that mean the Holy Spirit and the devil work together? No. He didn't consult the devil. But the Holy Spirit knows something. That a man who's anointed is a prime target for the devil when he's hungry. When a man is anointed and hungry, the devil's going to show up with an offer. And that's what he did. He played the devil because he needed Jesus to be Jesus. And to depend on the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost needed Jesus to, do, to go through that. So even Jesus had to practice being Jesus. 
Jesus fasted and prayed. Why would God have to fast and pray? Because he had become like us. He surrendered himself to every opportunity to fail that we would be faced with. So everything he did, he did because he practiced being Jesus. So when he tells us to do it, just like when I tell my students what to do, I'm not telling you to do something I didn't have to do. So when you tell me I can't do it, you're lying. I know you can. You just don't want it bad enough. It's that simple. And what the Holy Spirit wants for the people of the church, the people of rapture, the people of the world, is to want to be Jesus enough to practice being Jesus in every situation. And if you don't know how to be Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus sent us a teacher, the Holy Spirit, to reveal the kingdom of God to us. The kingdom of God is the character of Jesus in us. Everywhere Jesus went, the kingdom went. And however Jesus handled a situation, that was the kingdom of God in that situation. And the Holy Spirit came to reveal to us Jesus in every situation. So when the demons show up, what would Jesus do? The Holy Ghost will tell you Jesus would do this, do that. And you'll get the same result Jesus got. That's a very simple word. But it bears repeating over and over. Because what I'm learning as a teacher is you have to constantly recheck the commitment level to the overall assignment and not just the commitment to the end result of that thing. Once my kids get saved, are you committed? Once your money get right, are you committed? Once you get that, that healing in that area or that resolution in that area, what is your commitment level? Because that's what people mess up. How many folks do we know, mama, that came to the church with problems, got their problems solved, and then suddenly had a problem with the same church? They started hearing things. When well, the Lord told me it's time for me to move on, well, move on. I don't have that worry about any of us, but that's where it starts. So anyway, we're going to get deeper into it. I think, I think, I think, I think when we come back, we're going to talk about money. I think. But anything can happen in the next couple of sessions. So we'll see. <laughs> <laughs>